Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Y'all doing all right this morning? Y'all doing good? Yeah? Awesome. I was sitting over here and I was like, I was trying to figure out a spiritual way to transition from what Chuck was talking about sports to this moment and I came up empty. Did y'all come up with something? My, how many of y'all are sports fans? You've been watching games all weekend long. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, how many of y'all aren't afraid to admit that you know nothing about sports? Anybody? Show a hand, show a hand, show a hand. So this is me. So this is me. The reason why I couldn't come up with a good transition is I know absolutely nothing about sports. My dad was an electronics guy, so we never did anything outdoors. And so whenever people are talking about sports, I'm like, is there an app for that? I mean, really, I don't know anything about it. And so what I've learned though, is if you work with people like Pastor Chuck or Tripp or anybody else that's going to talk sports, I've learned you've got to know how to fake the conversation. All right. And so, uh, some Monday mornings they're like, man, did you see the game? And so my response is, can you believe it? (laughs) Man, uh, did you see that play? I was like, man, if they keep playing that way, then who knows? So I have no good transition. I have no, the only, the only saving grace is my, uh, one of my neighbors, uh, Daniel Agee, he's a big Georgia Bulldog fan. And so literally last Saturday, I'm outside walking our dog and suddenly I hear screaming coming from next door. And so I'm like, do I need to call 911? What's going on? And nope, turns out that was the first touchdown for the dogs. And so so maybe I'll learn something, but we're so glad you're here to be part of this series. You are here. And I I don't know about you, but for me, uh, a lot of times I can be directionally challenged. I I told you a while back uh, about my dad. My dad was one of these guys that would always get a free map from the truck stop. He'd pull out the the map and he would sort of highlight our route. And now I, I, I used to be decent with directions, but now that you have it on your phone, I don't pay attention to anything, right? I just punch in the address. I listen to the, the voice in the phone yelling at me. And so sometimes I'm directionally challenged. And so when we're talking about, you know, Google Maps, dropping a pin, where are you? You are here. I'm like, all right, there's something for all of us. Because what I found is in our day and age and in our lives, The question that we're asking is not, where does Google say that we are? The question we're asking is not, hey, am I going to make it to my destination? Or do I know anything about Georgia Bulldogs? The question today is, if I were to drop a pin in my life spiritually, where is God in my life? Where's God in my life? And what I found so often is that oftentimes we equate how we feel to how close we think we are to God. Oftentimes we equate our circumstances to where we are with God. So when things are going great, we're like, man, God's blessing. God's awesome. He's amazing. I got this promotion and I lost five pounds and the Bulldogs won. And God is awesome. See, I don't know anything about sports, but I'm still working it in there, right? Is that good? Are y'all impressed? No, you're not. All right, so moving right along. All right, so oftentimes we think when our circumstances are great, then obviously God's there. And then sometimes we think, well, if our circumstances aren't great, then obviously God is not there. The problem with that is it's just not true. It's not true. And I was thinking about, there's a lot of um, great passages of the Bible. There's a lot of great stories. There's a lot lot of great places that we could go to. But today's passage is a powerful one because in it, we meet three or four teenage guys that were kidnapped from home. So think about their circumstance. 
right? Four teenage guys, they're like 15, 16 years old. They are kidnapped from home. They're taken thousands of miles away from home. Their houses that they grew up in were burned down to the ground. Their parents were probably killed or they were beaten nearly to death. And in the middle of that moment, they're asking that question, God, where are you? God, where are you at? God, if you're so loving, then why is this happening? God, if you're so great, then why are we thousands of miles away from home? Why have our families been beaten up? Why have our houses been burned down? And yet, and yet in this story, these guys figured out how to live in the middle of that. And that's the great tension that we're feeling this morning because the, the truth is Sunday mornings at Sugar Hill are amazing. Right, when Pastor Chuck or whoever else on this stage, Pastor Hector, anybody else says welcome home, I'm like, yes, this feels like home. Even watching online, we've had some people comment from the first service, they're like, I feel like I'm home. And that's amazing, but the truth is we spend more time outside of the church than we do here. Right, we spend more time at work oftentimes than we spend time with our family. We spend more time uh, in, in stressful environments that are outside of this place. And so the question is on Monday, God, where are you? On Tuesday, God, where are you? On Wednesday, God, where are Throughout the rest of the week, whether it's home, whether it's work, whether it's relationships, God, where are you at? Because here's the thing this morning. Our closeness to God is not determined by our circumstances. Our closeness to God is not determined by are things going great? Are they falling apart? See, our closeness to God has less to do with our circumstances and more to do with the vision of God in our lives. See, the story that we're talking about today is from Daniel chapter one. And the thing that I think made Daniel so different, the thing that made Daniel stand out from everybody else was in the middle of his circumstances, he figured out how to live his life as if God is here, a thousand miles away from home, ripped apart from his family and most of his friends, and yet in a hostile environment in, in the kingdom of Babylon, day, Daniel learned how to figure this out. How do I live my life in such a way that I really believe that God is here? That's my prayer for us today, that we would learn how to live in such a way that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when the phone rings late at night, when we get that disruption uh, in our appointments, that we would live as if God is here because he is. And so if you get something to write on, if you get something to write with, I'm going to ask you to jot down a couple of things about Daniel's life that I think made him so unique. What, what, what are those things that helped a 16-year-old in hostility, a 16-year-old in captivity, a 16-year-old in, uh, in an evil kingdom? How did Daniel figure out how to live as if God was there? Because here's the end of the story. I'm, I'm breaking the rules as a communicator, as a preacher. The end of the story is that Daniel serves for like 80 years. Daniel serves four kingdoms. Daniel begins to help shape the future of the nation, even though he was a captive, even though he was kidnapped, even though his, uh, his circumstances were not great, he figured out how to live as if God is here. If you have your Bibles or you have your device, check it out. Daniel chapter one, verse one, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. Now, I don't want you to miss that. I mean, it's easy to use words like besieged, captive, those kind of words, because that's what's in the text. But literally, he rolls into the land of Jerusalem and he kidnaps them. He kidnaps them. 
And so you think for Daniel and his friends, you think for Daniel's family, they have literally been kidnapped and taken back. It says in verse two, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And so what happens is this King Nebuchadnezzar comes in Jerusalem. He takes them captive. He removes them from their land. He goes into the temple that's the place of worship of God. He takes all of these, these items that are set apart for the worship of the true God. And he takes them. He takes them to Shinar. He places them in the temple of a false god. And so once he gets all of these young men, once he gets all of these young leaders, listen to what it says in verse 5. Well, actually, let me back up to verse three. So the king commanded the chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youth without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that they ate and wine that they drank, and they were educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And verse 6 says, And Daniel and his friends were part of that. Daniel, in terrible circumstances, Daniel ripped away from home, figures out how to live as if God is here. Number one, if you're taking notes today, the first principle that comes right out of his life is number one, Daniel was rooted in devotion to God. There was something foundational. There was an anchor that was inside of his soul. There was something that even though everything around him is changing, everything around him is rocky, that everything around him is falling apart, coming unglued, coming unnailed, even in those moments, there's something inside of him that kept him centered. There's something inside of them that kept him grounded. Because the truth is, man, when we're not living in an ideal circumstance, when everything's not going great, when it does feel like things are, are, are falling apart, the temptation is to say, well, I'm just going to compromise. The temptation is, well, if everything's rocky around me, if everything's wavy around me, then I'm just going to live this way. It's not a big deal. It would have been easy for Daniel to live that way. It would have been easy for Daniel to say, look, I've been living for God my whole life. I've been a teenager that's been set apart for God, and yet God allowed me to be taken captive. It would have been easy for Daniel to justify and say, it doesn't matter how I live. It would have been easy for Daniel to say, man, I'm away from home. I'm away from my family. I'm away from the temple. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And yet there was something that kept him from doing that. There's something that grounded him. There's something that centered him. There was something in the middle of that hostile environment that kept him centered. And that thing was, he had a relationship with God that was real. That's it. Daniel was rooted in devotion to God, which means he had a relationship with God that wasn't an add-on. His relationship with God wasn't something he had only when it was convenient. His prayer time wasn't, well, we're going to have a big family meal. Let's pray now. This devotion to God was something that was intertwined throughout his entire life. 
I mean, even if you were to do a study, I wish we had time to do it. We, we can't today. But even if you were to study his name and the names of his friends, they were all God-honoring names. They had significance, talking about who God is, that God's the light and the provider. And so you can tell Daniel grew up in this environment where he cared about God. He focused on God. He loved God. And so now, in the middle of captivity, when everybody is blending in, now in the middle of captivity where everybody's doing exactly what the evil king says, here's what it says in verse eight, and this one's uh, in your notes in the app. It says in verse eight, but Daniel resolved. Some Bibles say it this way, but Daniel made up his mind. But Daniel decided ahead of time that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, so he asked permission from the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. The thing that made Daniel different is he purposed in his heart, and he said, I don't want to do anything that would hurt the heart of God. That's huge. To live as if God is here, to live when you get that phone call and the test results are not what you wanted them to be. To end up in an argument with the person that you love. To end up in that moment where things seem like they're coming unglued. They're, they're, they're breaking down in the middle of that moment to pause and to say, God is here. I'm going to be devoted to him because I'm in a relationship that is real and personal. Don't let your circumstances cause you to want to compromise. Don't let your circumstances to cause you to lose the big picture. Don't allow circumstances to say, well, I'm just going to do my own thing and I'll come back to God later. Daniel was rooted in devotion to God. And then number two, if you're taking notes, that devotion was refined in the decisions that he made. That devotion was seen by practical decisions. So for Daniel, he didn't disconnect his relationship from the rest of his week. See, often that's our temptation. When we don't live as if God is here, we compartmentalize our lives. We've got sort of our Sunday lives. We've got our Monday lives, our Tuesday. We compartmentalize, or we've got our work lives. We've got our Bible study lives. We compartmentalize it. We, we act one way. We live some way in certain places, and we live differently elsewhere. But for Daniel, that wasn't true. For Daniel, he didn't have sort of this God box and then this personal box and, hey, this is the way you live when you're home and everything's going great. Here's how you live when you're in Babylon and everything's falling apart. He didn't have that. Instead, his devotion to God was practical and it was seen in the decisions he made. So look at it, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind, resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Listen to this next phrase. So he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He asked permission. So he made a practical choice based on his relationship with God. And this is where the real rub is. This is where, where, where life gets lived out to say, I'm going to live as if God is here. What that means is I don't just know it here. And what it means is I don't just know it here, but it means that I live it out in the day-to-day, -day, the nitty-gritty decisions that we make. See, when I read Daniel 1, I have the benefit of knowing how the story ends. Right? If you grew up in church and you've heard Daniel's story, you're like, yeah, I know about the lion's den. He comes out all right. <laughs> right? I know about the fiery furnace. That's going to be okay. We know the end of the story, but in Daniel 1, Daniel doesn't know the end of the story. 
So it's real easy for us to say, well, of course we would live like Daniel. It turns out great. Daniel didn't know that. Daniel didn't know that in chapter one that, that he was going to serve for four kingdoms. He didn't know that he was going to survive a fiery furnace or he'd be delivered from a pit of lions. But what Daniel did know is even though he did not know the future, Daniel knew that he could predict the future because what Daniel knew that we need to know is that our future is largely shaped by the decisions we make today. So when we think about dropping a pin drop in our life, it's a great exercise to say in 50, 60, 70, 80 years, where do I want to be? And the truth is you can drop that pin. You can say, hey, I want to be a great husband. I want to have a great family. I want to be loved by those that are closest to me. We could say all those things, but unless we back up to today and make decisions based on that destination, we'll never, ever get there. Daniel knew it is largely shaped by the ache. And so here's Daniel without knowing the end of the story says, I can predict it because here's what's happening. They have changed my address. No big deal. They have changed my clothing. No big deal. They've changed my name. I kind of liked my old name, but, but that name doesn't define me. They've changed my address. They've changed my clothes. They've changed my name, but now they're changing what I eat. And again, we're like, what's the about what he eats? Well, the problem is there were some things that God said he was allowed to eat and not allowed to eat. So now he's living in a pagan kingdom and he's got that tension. How do I, how do I live in this kingdom, but I serve a different king. And so I, I'm allowed to change my name. I'm allowed to change my clothes. I'm allowed to change my address. But the food that he was being offered had been sacrificed to false idols. So it was part of false worship. And it was stuff that would make him unclean to worship the true God. And so he's like, I can't change. All right, change my name. That's all right. Change my address. That's okay. Change my clothes. That's okay. But the moment they said, we're going to cause you to do something that hurts your relationship with God, Daniel's like, I've got to ask to do something else. That's a practical decision. So if you're taking notes underneath that second point, here's what Daniel knew. Daniel knew that every single decision is either a stepping stone to get us closer to God, or it's a stumbling block keeping us away from him. Every single decision we make is either pushing us closer to God or it's pulling us further away. And so when you're in captivity, when things aren't going great, when you get that phone call, it's easy to think, well, what I do in this moment doesn't matter. And what Daniel would say, and I think all of us would agree, looking at a story, every day matters. Every decision matters. It matters what we do. It matters how we live. It matters. For Daniel, he's like, I'm devoted to God. I've got a relationship with God that's real. That devotion affects affects the way that I work. It affects the way that I talk to the people around me. It affects the decisions that I make. And then number three, it results in demonstration. It results in demonstration. It results in the people closest to Daniel seeing that his God is real. It results in him being raised to levels of influence that he would not have ordinarily have. I mean, th th this week's just sort of, sort of intro week. So if there's any week of you are here to miss, it was this one. So you've missed your one freebie. So you got to be here the rest of the weeks as we dig more into what it means to live like you are here. But for Daniel, man, at the end of his story, he gets promoted. He serves four dominant kingdoms. He's the guy that predicts that the, that, that fourth kingdom's gonna go down, that ultimately there's gonna be a kingdom that comes down from heaven that's gonna last forever. That's Daniel. 
But in Daniel 1, he doesn't know that. In Daniel 1, he doesn't know that he's going to serve four dominant kingdoms. In Daniel 1, he doesn't know that he's going to shape history. He doesn't know that. And you don't know that either. You don't know the power of your decisions. You don't know what God wants to do in and through your life. You don't know what God wants to do in and through your small group. You don't know what God wants to do in and through your marriage, through your life, through your kids. You never know. And what happens was we underestimate that. Uh, Think about it. If Daniel had not made that decision, if Daniel had not set apart his life for God, if Daniel had not said, you know what, I'm going to live for God, even when circumstances stink, even when I'm ripped away from home, if Daniel had not have made that decision, we would be missing a whole book in our Bible. We'd be missing a major part of God's story. And what I would say to you and I would say to me is, man, you don't know what's riding on your decisions either. See, what happens so often is we underestimate the power of a lifetime of decisions. What we typically do is we overestimate what we can accomplish in a day or a year, and we vastly underestimate what God can do in a lifetime of somebody that's devoted to him. If you have your Bibles or if you have it on the app, look at it, verse 9. It says, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. God's favor rested on him. If there's something we need, it's the favor of God on our lives. Verse 17, God gave them learning. He gave them skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding. Verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding uh, about which the king inquired them, he found them to be. Here's the deal. Daniel says, look, give me a different diet. Give me a different regiment. Try it out. The eunuch's like, I don't know if we can do that. He's like, well, test it. Try it. Give us 10 days. He gave them 10 days. It turned out great. And at the end of those three years, it says in every matter, Verse 20, there was wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, and he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. See, a lot of times we think, well, if I live for God, I'm going to be second rate. I'm not going to get the deals everybody else gets. My life isn't going to work out. It's not going to be great. But for Daniel, man, he's 10 times better than anybody else around him. Verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. See, when we live as if God is here. When my circumstances stink, when my health is failing, when my marriage is on the rocks, when when things just are not going well, when we live as if God is here, it begins to affect the decisions we make which shape the future and the destiny of our lives. Man, I've been been wrestling with this for, I don't know, a couple weeks, just thinking this through and Earlier this week, I heard a story that was so perfect. Earlier this week, got to hang out with Sam and Melody Manessas and their family, and you know these guys, but we've got their picture in case case you're not sure who they are, but uh, amazing, amazing family. And so we're hanging out with them, and I'm just asking the question, hey, what's your story? And just, you know, would love to know more of the backstory. And somewhere along that conversation, Sam was just totally transparent. And uh, as he's telling their story, he's like, man, uh, before I got married, I was living back near my family. My family, he starts describing his parents. He's like, they're an amazing couple. They were super connected to people in our community. They're like the marriage that everybody looked up to. They're great. And Sam's the youngest of three. And so he had sort of that unique closeness to his parents. And then somewhere along the way, 
his mom just takes off with her boss and takes a ton of money with them. And it just crushed him, crushed the family, crushed the relationship. They just took off, went from being model family to my mom's gone. And Sam was, I don't know, months away from proposing to Melody. So there's this whole part of his story that still is yet to be written. His mom knew about that stuff before, and yet now she's not part of that story anymore. And so for years and years and years, no communication, no contact, no part of our lives. And then Sam was saying like 10 years into this, he finally was going to go see his mom and her new husband. He's like the whole way there, he's thinking there's so much I'm just going to go off about. All the wrongs that were done, all the brokenness, all the pain. It's like I was locked and loaded. I was ready. But like a day before that conversation, he senses God place on his heart two words. It's like God's just pressing it in his soul. Just say, just say, I'm sorry. What? I mean, he wrestled with that. I mean, she's the one that did wrong, and they did wrong, and it's ugly. And he's like, I just sense God wanted me to say, I'm sorry. So sure enough, the next day, they're sitting down. They're about to have a conversation. And he doesn't want to say this. He doesn't. That's not what he's feeling. But finally, he's like, there's something I'm supposed to say. I'm sorry. He said in that moment, it's like the walls came down. As soon as he said, I'm sorry, they're saying, we're sorry. And they're crying and they're talking about it. Is is their relationship perfect now? No. Does that mean all the circumstances are great now? No. Does it make that season of his life fun? No. No. But there's something freeing about living as if God is here. And so you come to nights like fall night of worship and you see Sam up here. And I don't even know what you call it, but he had a couple of drums up here. And you just saw this gigantic smile on his face and you saw the light in his eyes and you could see the joy of God all over him. Is his life perfect? No. Are all those circumstances great? No. Would he want to relive all that stuff? No. But here's the deal. Your circumstances do not define you. Your circumstances do not determine the proximity of God in your life. They do not define you. And so today, the great challenge is to say, even when things are falling apart, I'm going to live as if God is here whether that's a broken relationship in your family or whether that's a, hey, I see somebody in need when I'm out to eat today. I'm gonna live as if God is here. 
In fact, inside your bulletin, there's a little red dot that's stapled in there. Those of y'all that behaved, it's still there. Those of y'all that uh, were playing around during the service, you've already stuck it somewhere. What I want to encourage you to do is I want you to take that red dot and I want you to place it somewhere this week where it feels like you're away from God. What is that place where there's tension? What is that place where, where, where it feels like you're all alone? Would you place that dot there this week as a reminder, God is here. For me, I had a, a hard conversation with one of my family members a couple of weeks ago. And so my red dot is sitting on the receiver of my phone as a reminder that even in those difficult conversations, God is here. I was talking to somebody in the lobby after the first service. They're like, man, that's work for me. And, and so he's like, I already know where I'm going to put my red dot. He's like, I'm going to put it at work. I was like, man, we got an extra pack of dots if you want to put them everywhere. He's like, yeah, I'm going to put them everywhere. I don't know where that is for you. It may be on the dashboard. It may be on your mirror. It may be in your wall. I don't know. It may be, I don't know where it is for you. But this week, would you take that dot? Would you place it in a place to remind you God is here? And then what I'd love for you to do is to take a picture of where you place that dot. If you're on Instagram or Facebook, hashtag it with you are here. Or if you don't have any of those things, email that to us at here at sugarhillchurch.com, here at sugarhillchurch.com. And we would love to know how to pray for you. But let's stand together as we pray. And as we stand together and as we pray, my request is that this song that we sing would be more than just a song on the screen. This would not be a chance to, I'm gonna get ready to leave. My prayer is that these words would be our prayer today because it's not your circumstances, it's the presence of God that's gonna make the difference. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the hope that's in this place today. We thank you that we're not defined by the circumstances in our life. We're not defined by the hurt and the pain. The number one thing that defines us is our relationship with you. And so Father, for those that have been beat up this week and for those that feel like that you're far away, God, would you help them to see that you are the one that's here today? God, would you, would you step into the middle of their circumstances? And maybe today you feel a million miles away from God and you're like, I don't even know if I know him. Would you ask him? Would you just say, dear Jesus, I know that you're real. And I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And as best as I know how, I ask you to step out of heaven and step into my heart and save me. God, for every single one of us, help us to live as if you're here. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.